the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. Lizzie, how's it going today? Today is fine. Not much has been going on in my life as usual. My mom got surgery, Mm. which was on her spine, but she's recovering pretty well considering. Well, that's good. I'm glad she's so shout out to my mom. Shout out to Lizzie's mom, Martha. She's had a rough time. Martha. Shout out to Martha, Lizzie's mom. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, how are you? How am I? (laughs) I'm good. I just got off work. I'm very tired. It's very hot here still. We're having a brutal heat wave, but I got some mail order delivery service things that I'm very excited to open when we're done recording. Oh, did you get that snack box thing? Yes. Oh, that's so yes, fun. Yes, which I will not say the name of because they're not a sponsor. So any exactly. mail order you delivery earn it. services, <laughs> if you want us to say your name on the podcast, <laughs> consider sponsoring us. We will gladly say your name if you give us money. All righty. Thank you. Have you tried? Have you tried the snacks yet? I haven't even opened the box yet. I was. Uh, I was like, well, you I'm, just got home. I just got home. I was like, I'm not distracting myself. I'm going straight to nice. The well, I'm actually excited. I stopped in the bathroom first, but you know, I'm excited to see what's inside. Yes, I'll tell you about them. <laughs> Me too. I think it'll be fun. So, Lizzie, who are we going to be talking about today? So today we're going to be talking about La Difunta Correa, who is an Argentinian folk saint. Interesting. Have you ever heard of her? No, I have not heard of her. Yeah, so um, actually, I got the idea for her to do an episode on her like last Thursday, because I was hanging out with my friend, Pilar, who is from Argentina, and she was telling mm. me about her. And because um, my friend Pilar is from the San Juan region of Argentina, and as is La Difunta Correa, as we will talk about today. So it's very exciting. And also shout out to my friend for giving me this idea. Awesome. Yeah. Love when those so, that happens. Yeah. It's really nice because she's actually from the place that I'm talking about. So I got like her perspective, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, rather than that's just super cool. academic readings. Although that's also nice. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. So do you know what a folk saint is? So my understanding of a folk saint is a saint that's to some extent associated with the Catholic perception of saints, but also potentially like syncretized with an older folklore or like indigenous goddess or spirit and worshipped in more of a cultural way than just like a religious way. Yeah, that's like, well, I don't know if that's actually correct. That's not what I have. It's okay if it's not correct. Like that's just sort of my understanding. (laughs) I can be wrong. Maybe that definition falls under this term as well. But the, the way that I understood it when I was researching this is that folk saints, also known as popular saints, are deceased uh-huh. people or other powerful entities that are venerated as saints, but not officially canonized. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So basically they're saints, but they aren't officially accepted by the Catholic Church, Yeah, I guess. Or at least they're, they're not canonized. Yeah, they're not officially saints by Catholic standards. Yeah, but they are venerated as such. Yeah, they're primarily venerated in, like, near areas where they lived. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Some folk mm-hmm. saints have a large national or international cults, though most have smaller local followings. 
which Arsenio de Correa has a national following in Argentina. Though it started local, as we'll find out. Okay, so typically stories of miracles performed during the person's life are repeated and the figure's popularity is increased when there are stories of miracles performed after their death. This often happens in the same communities that the folk saint originated, as we will see. So to my understanding, the broad category of folk saint isn't like necessarily specific to one religion. Like the word saint isn't necessarily either, but it's typically associated with Christianity for obvious reasons and like historical reasons, but now can be used in kind of a general way just to talk about like the general concept of a saint even if it's not specific to Christianity. But anyway, typically the term folk saint refers to Catholicism as the canonization process. It's extensive and the term typically refers to a non-canonized figure whereas non-Catholic folk figures may not be viewed in the same way. Like other religions don't necessarily have like a canon that they have to adhere to. Mm-hmm. Quick question, you're Catholic aren't you? I am, yes. Okay, that's what I thought but I wasn't sure if it was a different kind of Christian. Nope, I'm a Catholic. That was irrelevant though. Anyway, it's possible <laughs> it's possible for folk saints to become canonized, though it doesn't happen that often, and the process takes a really long time. For example, the Peruvian folk saint La Melchorita's case for canonization was opened in 1978, and it's still in progress. Mm-hmm. Do you like know the canonization process? So I don't know like exactly how it works, but I know that in order to be a saint, you have to have performed at least two proven miracles, like one before oh. you die and one after you die and so my guess is the canonization process probably involves a lot of investigation to make sure that the miracles were like genuine and have no other explanation besides that it was miraculous that it was through god's divine power basically that's interesting well the part that i skimmed on wikipedia just said that like there's like steps to becoming a saint like Mm -hmm. before you become a saint you have to be like a venerable and before that it's like something else etc yeah there's also blessed in there somewhere um and like servant of god yeah but i didn't know these things because i am not catholic so i I was curious how much you knew but probably this like common knowledge in catholics anyway though i mean maybe it's not i don't know yeah i mean i think like the big understanding that you have to be canonized to become a saint is like relatively understood if i stayed in catholic school i might know more (laughs) uh yeah so typically saints are seen as intercessors between humanity and god but the manner of intercession can vary regionally for example in europe folk saints serve as messengers of the divine and follow established doctrine very closely whereas in latin america folk saints tend to intervene in their followers lives directly but a figure's status as a folk saint rather than like a canonized saint really doesn't in any way negatively affect their worship. Devotees of folk saints have an intimate relationship with them that is closer and more familiar than with God, who seems distant, or canonized saints who are more personal but also more formal. Devotees feel a more interactive and reciprocal relationship with folk saints and often describe them as friends or companions. I love this concept so much. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. One thing you might notice when looking up folk saints is that a lot of them are from Latin America. Like, not all of them. There's plenty from other places too, but there are a lot from Latin America, various countries. Frank Graziano writes in Cultures of Devotion, Folk Saints of Spanish America, about how the view of folk saints in Latin America also relates to the broader preoccupation with death in Hispanic Catholicism and their view of the relationship between life and death. Death doesn't represent finality or absence, but rather a change of state. As Graziano writes, together the living and the dead constitute a kind of extended family, a community divided between this world and the next, and thus folk saints perform on a grand scale the role that a dead relative performs for the family. So like the preoccupation with death isn't like, you know, all morbid, or like that's not Mm -hmm. the purpose of it, it's 
it's like sacred and it's like not yeah it's not like depressing yeah it's like just part of life and yeah people who have died still exist and they still help you yeah that's really cool i that's a really awesome way of thinking about life and death yeah i agree okay so shall we begin with the story absolutely okay so la difunta correa means be deceased Correa, where Correa is a very common surname in Latin America, and it means leather belt. So that's kind of irrelevant, but still fun. So, Maria Antonia de Olinda Correa was born in La Margarita in the San Juan province of Argentina sometime in the early 19th century, though the exact year is unknown. In her early 20s, she married Baudilio Bustos, and together they had a son. Around the year 1841, Bustos was forcibly recruited into the army, or alternately imprisoned by enemy forces. Either way, he was taken to La Rioja, the province north of San Juan. This was during the Argentine Civil Wars, a series of civil wars that took place between 1814 and 1880. Derinda was distraught at having her husband taken away without being able to care for him, especially, I mean, as one version says, he he fell sick while he was away, so she decided Mm. to go to La Rioja herself. In another version, one of the reasons she married Bustos was because she was being harassed by a police chief who wanted to marry her. So she married Bustos instead. Yeah. And it's, well, it's kind of messed up because, I mean, he's a police chief, so it kind Mm -hmm. of, it's indicative of, like... Power imbalance. Yeah, and, like, just corruption within the community. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, then, after her husband was taken away, she was once again vulnerable to harassment. In this version, she decides to escape to La Rioja rather than succumb to their harassment and stalking. Okay. Yeah. So, either way... She took their infant son and set off to La Rioja, except in order to get there, she would have to traverse the harsh desert. Mm. Yeah, Argentina has a lot of desert, and it's very dangerous. I bet. Yeah, and like traveling across the desert even now is a huge risk and kind of a gamble on whether you'll make it out alive or not. And, well, Delinda died of thirst in the desert. Oh no. Yeah, it's very sad. So a few days later, her body was found by gauchos who were driving cattle through the desert. What they found when they came across her was her lifeless body, but also her infant son who was still alive. Mm. Basically, even after her death, her child was still able to feed off of her breast milk, which was miraculously still flowing, even though she had been dehydrated. Interesting. Yeah. In the version my friend told me, Delinda had been pregnant when she entered the desert, and at some point before her death, she gave birth, and her baby was just a newborn when the gauchos found him. Wow. Though I don't know if that's actually a common thing, because I didn't see it anywhere else, so it's possible my friend just didn't know. But either way, thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, giving birth in the desert must be, like, worst experience ever. I mean, that's very bad case scenario, like, one of the worst for sure. Of yeah. all the places to give birth, definitely the desert would be up there. I feel like maybe it was more likely that the baby was not a newborn because otherwise it probably wouldn't have been able to like move its arms, you know? Mm, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, but it is a miracle, so who knows what actually, exactly, actually yeah. happened. It's just... You know, like, maybe the baby was miraculously able to make its way yeah. up to breastfeed. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so the gauchos buried Linda in Varecito a small town in the San Juan province. They brought her story back with them, and word began to spread. Soon, many ranchers who passed by her grave said a prayer to Deolinda, who at this point gained the nickname La Difunta Correa. So, a few decades later, 
there began to be stories about her performing miracles for those who prayed to her. In particular, one famous story involves a gaucho named Flavio Zavallos. Zavallos was driving a herd of cattle across the desert when a storm hit and caused his herd to scatter everywhere. He feared his cattle was lost forever and prayed to La Difunta Correa when he stumbled across her gravesite, promising to build her a chapel if she helped him recover his cattle. Ah. When he resumed his search the next morning, he found his cattle all in one place and grazing together in a canyon with not a single one missing. After he sold his cattle at a marketplace and got a good price, he returned to La Difunta Correa's gravesite and fulfilled his promise. Mm. So now there's a chapel. Well, yeah, there's actually more than a chapel. Like her gravesite is like has so much stuff there now. Like it wow. has like it has like a hotel. It has Whoa. Like, multiple chapels. It has I think like what's it called? The place where you go to gamble? A casino? Yeah, there's a casino. And no. there's like all this stuff. It's like huge huh. and kind of a kind of a bit of a tourist tr- attraction nowadays, actually. I guess so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but uh <laughs> interesting indeed. Very. I mean, I kind of wonder if that's considered to be like, I don't know, spectacle more than Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people who visit her gravesite are not practicing, like they're not her devotees, mm-hmm. but apparently that's a common thing to go there like not believing and then coming back and being like a devotee of her. Yeah. But so it must still be like impactful even if there's a lot of other things there that might not be as related to yeah, her I mean, like, I feel like if you were gonna go there just to like, you know, make a spectacle out of it and like actively like not believing in it, then that would be really disrespectful. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people go mm-hmm. not necessarily to be disrespectful, but like still to have some sort of spiritual experience. I mean, mm-hmm. why else would you go to a gravesite? Yeah, definitely. Anyway, the story with Savios happened in around 1890, and it's often considered to be the first miracle she ever performed, other than breastfeeding thing mm-hmm. though there is also documentation of her miracles from as early as 1865 she was clearly a popular devotional figure around this time with a text being found from that year that said travelers have complete faith in her miracles and invoke her in their tribulations and when passing by they never fail to say some prayer or deposit a silver coin in the collection box so difuto correa's story began to spread far and wide First by cattle drivers who traveled from Varecito to elsewhere in Argentina, and then by truck drivers who were able to spread news of her even more broadly across the country, oh. as well as to Chile and parts of Uruguay. Mm. There were also more shrines built to her elsewhere, particularly along roadways. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and just in general, she has a lot of devotees who are truckers and travelers in general. Mm-hmm. Which I think is cool. Yeah, and does she have like devotees outside of Argentina as well? Yes. I mean, most of her devotees are in Argentina. But there are also some in Chile and Uruguay, and I'm guessing probably people who are from Argentina but moved elsewhere. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly in Argentina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like really well known in Argentina. The way I understand it, she's like one of, if not the most, like popular saint figures in the country. That's super cool. Yeah. At this time, many murders and robberies occurred in Varecito, which was known as Las Peñas, due to the outcroppings of rock on both sides of the road that provided good cover for robbers who ambushed travelers. Mm. It was so well known for crime that housewives would say to shopkeepers trying to overcharge them, don't be a crook and if you want to steal, go to Las Peñas. (laughs) So the location of La Difunta Correa's grave in Las Peñas provided protection for her devotees who would pray to her while traveling in this dangerous area. And the locations of her shrine in Velocito as well as other roadside shrines provide necessary comfort for travelers who often risked danger. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. It is, yeah. I mean, it's cool that she is like the protectress of yeah. people who travel and people who are in danger, kind of, mm-hmm. or like who risk a lot. I mean, especially like, you know, in the 1800s. 
like traveling was dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like right on the edge of the desert. Yeah, and like aren't there like a ton of mountains in Argentina? To, like the Andes are in Argentina. Yeah. Like there's a lot of different perilous terrains in Argentina to like be traveling through. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So, by the turn of the century, devotion to her was very well established, even rivaling that of formal Catholicism. A report from 1921 stated, They have greater devotion and faith in her than in the very saints of the Catholic religion, and instead of making promises to these, they make them to Difunto Correa because she is more miraculous. Hmm. However, her figure as a saint isn't entirely benevolent. There is also a common belief that if you fail to pay your respects to La Difunto Correa, danger may befall you. There is another report from 1921 describing the story of a man who passed by her grave with his cattle without making an offering. He then lost his cattle so he went back to her shrine to pay his respects leaving money as an offering and then he recovered the lost cattle and proceeded without further troubles oh yeah as i mentioned earlier the relationship between folk saint and devotee was considered to be reciprocal if la difunto correa helps you you have to repay her there was a doctor who visited her shrine in order to fulfill the promise he made to her previously when he left the shrine his car wouldn't start even though there wasn't anything wrong with the engine. Hmm. Someone asked if he had taken anything from the shrine, and he said he hadn't, but then his teenage son confessed to have taken a medal. After he put it back, the engine started, and they were able to leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like she's, you know, punishing, but she's also very forgiving. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, he stole something, and then the car drove off a cliff spontaneously and died. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, he stole something, but when he put it back, everything was fine. You know? If you right your wrongs, she'll yeah. forgive you. Which is really nice. Also, that story reminded me of the story in the Pele episode, where there was that guy who stole like some ancient volcanic rock or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so Pele punished him until it was back where it belonged. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it made me think of that too. In general, just don't steal sacred things. Yeah, don't steal sacred things. That's not nice. Like... Come on. (laughs) Since she's not a canonized saint, she doesn't have any official iconography as her images cannot be made or blessed. Um, Typically, at least as far as I could see, she is usually depicted in a red dress, her lifeless body lying on the ground as her infant son feeds from her breast. Her shrines are recognizable from their large amounts of water bottles, which devotees leave for her because she died of thirst. Mm. Difunto Correa shrines don't always feature an image of her, but they are still recognizable as Difunto Correa shrines from the presence of all the water bottles. Other common offerings for her are wedding dresses from women who wish to get married, as well as car registrations or small model houses. Oh. Yeah. It's kind of like if you want something, then you leave a little, like, representation of it. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. It's really nice. So visits to her shrine are very common year-round, but especially so on Easter and All Souls Day slash the Day of the Dead, which is November 2nd. And supposedly over half a million Argentinians visit her shrine in Valacito every year. Wow. I mean, as I said, it's become a bit touristy, which... I mean, partially at least, it must be like authentic mm-hmm. worshippers, but then also partially, possibly commodified a little bit as yeah, a little bit as like what it seemed as I was reading a little bit about it. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, so what do you think of La Difunto Correa? I think it's a super interesting story, and I think I think it's really awesome. I think it's really interesting. I feel like she's sort of in a way like a representation of the Virgin Mary. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking that because of the story of her being found with her baby. Mm-hmm. And that reminded me of the imagery of, you know, Mary and the baby Jesus. And so, like, her motherhood and her baby, her relationship to her child, her baby boy, 
mm-hmm. is like very much a huge part of what makes her holy and what makes her venerated. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was very interesting. It sort of made me think of Our Lady of Guadalupe, ah. who's another like sort of representation of the Virgin Mary, but also kind of a folk saint in a way. Mm-hmm. Except I think she is... I don't know. Recognized. I'm not exactly sure exactly what her title would be, but it's recognized as an incarnation of the Virgin Mary for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I thought that was really cool and it was really interesting. And I think it's really cool that she's the patron saint of travelers. I think that makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense because she was traveling when she died. Mm-hmm. And I also, I just really like the idea of having like something to take with you when you're traveling that will bring you good luck. Having someone to watch over you while you're traveling. As we talked about traveling, especially in the 1800s, is super dangerous. And like, it's still not not dangerous Yeah, now. so it must have been like a, a great comfort to have that protection from yeah. Viva de Correa. Yeah, and so it's just like really nice to have that. And I just, I don't know, I'm like, I just really love all the images that I'm like picturing and thinking about throughout this episode. I just think, you know, this whole story and concept is super cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think those are my main thoughts. I think I said most of my other thoughts, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you were kind of saying this before, but Difunto Correa's image as a saint is inextricable from her identity as a mother. Mm-hmm. Similar to the Virgin Mary, she is, as Graziana says, almost a deification of maternity. She symbolizes eternal motherhood, mm-hmm. a love that extends beyond her death and into the lives of her devotees. Those who worship La Difunto Correa can draw strength from her the way that her infant son did, and they can gain the stamina to carry on in a world that could be unforgiving and dangerous. Mm-hmm. In their plaques and prayers, her devotees sometimes refer to her as mother of those who suffer, mother of those who cry, and protector of the helpless who suffer and cry. Wow. Yeah. Difunto Correa is preceded by a long line of maternal figures in mythology and folklore. For example, the Egyptian mother goddess Isis breastfed pharaohs who were ascending to the throne, which confirmed their legitimacy and made them immortal. <laughs> she is also often depicted in Egyptian art, breastfeeding her son Horus. Yeah. The Phoenician goddess Astarte was considered to be the mother of fertile breasts, the queen of heaven, the creator of human beings, and the mother of the gods. And in Greek mythology, Hera, breastfeeding Hercules, made him immortal, and her breast milk also created the Milky Way. Huh, interesting. You didn't know that. Grandpa didn't know that either, so. No, he did know that. I thought, I mean, yeah, I thought Hera hated Hercules and, like, tried to kill him multiple times. Oh, yeah, no, she did. It was against her consent. Oh, oh, no. (laughs) No, yeah, Zeus went after her while she was sleeping, I think, and was like, and she was like, get away from me, but he had already had some of her milk. Well then. Yeah. (laughs) Always a fun time with Greek myths, gotta say. Exactly. Always a great time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's just Zeus. Yeah. He sucks. Just Zeus being Zeus. Yep, he does. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. yeah I definitely <laughs> see uh, what you're saying about her being basically the deification of motherhood. I mean, it's very clear, like, the motherly aspect of her is what makes her so unique and so, like... Powerful. I don't know. Ex- yeah, powerful. And, like, I don't know exactly what the word is, but worthy of being worshipped, like... And, yeah, exactly. You know, the people like, who found it, the gauchos who found her saw this and were like, this is an incredible mm-hmm. thing that we've seen. We've got to tell everyone. And that that was what made them want to tell everyone. Was yeah, it spread because it was so miraculous. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, breastfeeding does have a precedent in mythology. 
previous to this. Anyway, so there's also a long list of mother goddess figures in history dating back to Paleolithic times, like Isis or Parvati from Hinduism, Sally from Lithuania, or Guanyin from Buddhism. And the Virgin Mary can also be considered to be a mother goddess figure. I mean, like, not exactly because she's not considered to be a goddess, but, like, mm-hmm. you know? But also, like, yeah. there was an ancient... She's a sacred there's... feminine, whatever they call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. But also, there was an, an ancient Christian movement known as Coloridianism in, like, the, the 300s. Have you heard of it? No. There's so many it's... early Christian, like, heretic... I mean, I don't think it's that well-known. Heretic movements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, whose followers worshipped the Virgin Mary as a goddess, though this movement was heretical, mm-hmm. and their existence is also debated. I mean, it was a really long time ago, but... It sounds like it would have existed, though, but... Yeah. I mean, I think so. I feel like one of the criticisms about it not having existed was like, well, women must not have done this because blah, blah, blah. But like, but I also think there was not enough evidence. Well, women were super important in the early church, but like, whatever. Right? Whatever. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So that I was like, hmm. But then I think also it was just because there wasn't enough like evidence about it. Mm-hmm. But you know, sounds kind of like a fun idea yeah. to me. Anyway, so a mother goddess figure symbolizes creativity, birth, fertility, sexual union, nurturing, and the cycle of growth. And it's basically universal across world cultures as motherhood is a universal part of life. Though mother goddesses are not to be confused with earth mothers who are more associated with nature and having created all forms of life. Mm. For example, Gaia from Greek mythology. Just like a, you know, a personification of the earth. Whereas like, yeah. for example, Rhea from Greek mythology was like the mother of Zeus. So she's like a mother goddess. Yeah. And then Gaia is like an earth mother. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So anyway, Tifuto Korea, though she isn't a goddess, continues this long ancient line of figures celebrated for their maternity and nurturing of life. Though there's also another dimension to her story, specifically in the version where she travels to the desert in order to escape the advances of the police chief. Mm-hmm. At some point around the 1960s, the male-led committee of her shrine celebrated her not just as a loving mother, but also as a faithful wife. Mm-hmm. Graziana writes in like 2009, Today, women tend to stress the maternal qualities of Difunto Correa, while men, particularly the older men, stress her fidelity and the sacrifice that she made for her husband. Yeah, and so that sort of, the thought of her being harassed by the police chief bothers me in a way. I mean, like, not that it could have been true. Like, I mean, it's very likely that it could have been yeah. true. But the way it's sort of like it's treated as her fidelity rather exactly, than like yeah. her being harassed. Yeah, like that's a it's huge about her thing. safety, not her like yeah. you know, purity. You know, like anybody anybody would want to escape from harassment. It's not yeah. about being loyal or being faithful. Yeah. And that's honestly like a huge thing in Catholicism when it comes to various saints, because with the model of the Virgin Mary, there's so many female saints that are like, they refused to have sex with this man and they were executed for it or whatever. And then yeah. they're now like a patron saint of virginity or whatever. But it's like, that's not the main point here. The main point yeah. wasn't that they didn't have sex. The main point was that they were victims of a patriarchal yeah. society that didn't allow them to consent to having sex. Like, when was coercing them in order to have sex or die and they decided they would rather die yeah and like it's not about oh she's so virtuous it's like it was like she didn't want to give up her virtue to the evil roman soldier no it's like no she didn't want to be assaulted you know like exactly yeah it's all just very victim blamey and like yeah i mean even somebody who's or not it's a just virgin. like it's focusing on the wrong thing yeah, and it, yeah like it's like well if you hadn't died instead of you know been assaulted like why didn't you just you know or it's like if they had been assaulted it would have been like oh you're such a you know scarlet woman <laughs> i don't know what to say yeah it's like oh no it's like can... it would be a judgment against her yeah when it wasn't even her fault and she was just 
trying to yeah. live her life. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, like, an issue I have with a lot of female saints is, like, they have this thing where they're, like, oh, they refused. And it's, like, so they're so holy and virtuous. And it's, like, well, like, sure. But I think we need to talk about the culture that was forcing them into sexual relationships that they weren't comfortable with. Exactly. And looking at it being, like, oh, she's so faithful and just, like, very misogynistic. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, I mean, it's clear that, I mean, it depends on the story, I guess. If she wanted to go to her husband because he was sick... Yeah, she's very faithful. If she wanted to escape the guy, that's obviously not her main priority. But her husband might represent safety to her, and therefore, like, she wants to stay with him, which is also a very fair and valid thing. Mm -hmm. But overall, again, it does depend on what story you're telling. Exactly. If the story doesn't have that detail about her being harassed, like, sure. But if your story does have that detail, like then there's a different message being told. Yeah, and, like, in this version, it's like, oh, she died rather than succumbing to the police chief. It's, like, mm-hmm. like that it's admirable to choose death over that. Like, yeah. it's a horrible way of thinking. Yeah, and then it's also weird, because, like, I mean, she's both being virtuous and a mother, and they're, like, putting that together when, like, motherhood generally implies that you've lost your quote-unquote virtue, you know? Yeah. With, like, (laughs) but in the case of the Virgin Mary, again, we have that same situation where it's like, oh, she had a child, but she's a virgin. You know, it was miraculous. Yeah. Miraculous conception that allowed this to happen. And so it's sort of, like, the same thing here is that they're both deifying her motherhood and also her purity Mm -hmm. at the same time. When, like, purity as they're defining it is generally mutually exclusive from motherhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, in a report from San Juan in 1946, the author writes that Delinda went into the desert out of guilt for having been unfaithful and that her child was a product of this affair and a symbol of her grave mistake. Well, then why are they worshipping the image of the child? Well, I think think this man was just, like, you know, criticizing her. Oh, okay. I don't know, though. He was like, no fun allowed. Yeah, exactly. In this version, her death is a punishment and penance for being unfaithful. So more like a moral lesson Mm -hmm. in the view of this man. Mm -hmm. This version is not in any way commonly told or well known. And it's very clearly just a product of misogyny. But, well, I was just going to say that it was misogynistic to even focus on whether or not she was faithful, considering basically everything we just talked about. Yeah. But yeah, like, and if anything, like, this is a commentary on how women at this time and place had to rely on husbands for safety and how the threat of harassment and assault led her to her death. Yeah. Rather than, like, oh, she's so virtuous. Mm-hmm. But we just said that. So, anyway... Yeah. So earlier versions of Radisson de Correa's story often differ from her story today. Before the 1940s, it was more commonly said that Giolinda died of thirst in the desert alone or died together with her child. The portion about breastfeeding came later, likely in between 1920 and 1940, and quickly became the most distinctive attribute of her story. Mm. So Graziano said, once again, it is an ambitious revision of the tragic death, an afterthought that emerges almost of necessity to create a saint worthy of her miracles. So basically like in this light, she represents the ideal wife and mother who sacrificed a lot due to her virtue and love for her family. Mm-hmm. Which is definitely appealing to those that hear her story and something that would give yeah. strength to her devotees, male or female. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I do think it makes sense the idea that, like, assign, like, virtuous traits to somebody in order to make them more worthy of worship. Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it it just sort of also makes it a better, a nicer story as opposed True. to just like the sad story of a woman who went into the desert and died mm-hmm. for whatever reason, whether to escape someone or to try and get to her husband. Mm-hmm. Adding that sort of you know miraculous element to it does make it more like there was a purpose to all this. Exactly. Yeah, which is nice. Um. Yeah. All that being said, I don't like want to like say for sure like this was added yeah. later because it sounds. Mm-hmm maybe disrespectful to somehow imply that it was all like yeah made up you know but um but like with all orally told folk stories there is bound to be variation like maybe there's different versions at different times but that's natural Mm -hmm. but regardless and like it made me think about how i don't know like you doing this podcast made me think i think like more respectfully about yeah mythological and religious figures Mm -hmm. and how maybe i used to think that oh this is all like made up but it's fun but like that's not the right way of thinking about mythology yeah or anything Mm -hmm. religious folklore anything Mm -hmm. it's not the point and it's also super disrespectful to like assume that it's all made up yeah like who's to say yeah it also doesn't matter because people believe these things and that's more important than like if they were factually happening. Yeah. And they're important to people. Exactly. And we weren't there. So like. Exactly. Like, so no, so we can't say that anything particularly happened or didn't happen. And I feel like the sort of like Western, especially Western, like secular vision is this is all made up. But like, that's <laughs> not the right way of thinking about mythology or religion in general, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, definitely agree. And it doesn't matter if you believe in it, but it's wrong to say that it's like all made up. Mm-hmm. Disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Made me think of that. Yeah, definitely. Glad you said that. Yeah. I did actually think it was interesting that I'm always the one talking about like Catholic figures when you're the actual Catholic one. Like in the Bridget episode and the Ayersley episode. Yeah. So well, I, think I think it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I was like, well, you can tell me your opinion on this because I'm not mm-hmm. Catholic. <laughs> but it, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I always have fun when you talk about Catholic figures. Good. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I hope everyone else listening enjoyed this episode as well. If you did, please be sure to subscribe, give us a review, and we'll be back here in two weeks with another episode. Thank you. Bye. The Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thank you for listening. See you next time.